I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, I want to teach you a new word. This is definitely a new word. It's new for all of you because I made it up. This is the word. The word is in-betweenism. In-betweenism. And I think it's something that many of us, if we are Christians and have been Christians for a while, fall into. Many of us find ourselves in this sort of place. Let me just say, if you're not a Christian, if you're still working out what you believe about Jesus, then I hope that this afternoon you are going to see why Jesus is worth getting excited about. But if you are a Christian, you may find yourself caught in a kind of in-betweeny no-man's land as a Christian. Between two realities. Let me give you some examples to show you sort of what I mean. You know, um, when you wake up, there is a middle bit, isn't there, between I'm in bed asleep, I'm awake and ready for the day. There is an in-between bit. When I'm no longer asleep, that reality has sort of gone, but I'm not yet here. Or, or the, the, the move from being a teenager to being an adult. There is a middle phase, right? A teenager who never gets any bills addressed to them to an adult who gets a lot of bills addressed to them. There's a middle bit where you're sort of going, oh my word, what's a bill? And sometimes there are bills that someone else still pays on your behalf. Anyone here's mobile phone still paid by someone other than them? Netflix, okay, you know how this works. You don't mention it, you'd see how long it goes on. <laughs> it just seems to keep happening, this is a good deal, and suddenly someone realizes. In between, you're sort of in between. Or perhaps more seriously, if you were in a hostage situation where you had been taken captive and you were under, under guard, and then someone came and rescued you, and now you're in freedom, but it may be that you still find yourself scared. It, it may be that you still find yourself struggling to embrace the new reality. You see, you're caught in between, right? One reality, another reality. 
What we find in John 21 is that, G, uh, that Peter is living in an in-between reality. You see, there are two realities. There's the old life that Peter had. So before he ever met Jesus, Peter was a fisherman. He was going out each day. He was doing his thing. He was probably pretty good. He was catching fish. He was providing for his family. He was living in a world that was sort of hard and a world of death and a world of struggle and darkness, but he was getting on with doing his job. And then one day he met Jesus and he was catapulted from an old reality into an entirely new reality, like unbelievably different. Suddenly, Peter's no longer going to work catching fish. He's now involved in these unbelievable miracles, <laughs> just extraordinary. He's now in a reality that, inc that includes power and crowds. What a transformation. And yet that adventure sort of came screeching to a halt when Jesus was crucified and nailed to a cross. And all of the excitement and power seemed to just go in a moment. It's like, wow. And yes, Jesus has now risen from the dead and Peter has seen him. But Peter is not yet living in the new reality of Jesus and his resurrection. Let me show you what I mean. Um, the first thing we're going to see is that Peter shows us that we have a drift towards the old reality. We, we tend to drift back towards what we once were. Have a look with me. Um, after Jesus appeared again to his disciples, um, by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan Galilee, some other disciples, Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. What do you think is the sort of mood in that little group of seven? They don't strike me as a group who are living full of resurrection joy yet. They seem to me to be a group that is a very best sort of directionless. What do we do? Yes, we, Jesus appeared to us in Jerusalem. We're now back in Galilee, about 80 miles north. What are we supposed to do now? And they're looking at each other sort of a bit directionless. And perhaps they're also a bit disappointed because nothing really seems to be happening. And perhaps for Peter, he might even wonder if he's discounted. Because he's let Jesus down, right? The night before Jesus died, Peter denied he even knew Jesus. So Peter's got that hanging over him. So there's this mix of sort of directionless, disappointed, discounted. And what you see is really interesting. There is a drift back towards the old reality. I'm going out to fish. I don't think that that is supposed to, I don't think we're supposed to read that as sinful, Right? Some people go, Peter's being rebellious. I don't think he's being rebellious. I think he's just drifting back. He's doing sort of what comes naturally to him. He, he's falling back into the old habits, the old, old ways. He's going back to his old life. And the others say to him, oh, we'll go with you. And so off they go fishing. I think this is sort of emphasized by the fact that John, the list of names that John includes 
are very similar to the list of names you get back in John chapter 1, when the whole thing started. The same characters are mentioned. And John, as if he's saying, we're sort of drifting back to the beginning. But the sad reality is, they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It just is all very flat, considering Jesus has risen from the dead. And so here are the disciples in this place of darkness, this place of night, this place of disappointment, drifting back. And as I've thought about it this week, do you know, I reckon that is many of us, our experience of being a Christian. There are moments, right, when we get excited about Jesus. Moments we get, yes, Jesus is awesome, and he does great things, and we're excited about him. Perhaps we're in a big crowd, or something happens, and we, we get really excited about him. But as time goes on, we can lose our direction. What am I supposed to be doing? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm wandering through life. I don't know. Or perhaps we get a bit disappointed. It's, it's not quite what I thought it was going to be. I thought this Christian life was going to be amazing. I thought all my problems were going to disappear, but actually it's just hard. Or maybe some of us, we look back and we think of things we've done in the past. We wonder if we're even discounted. Am I even part of this thing? Am I really a Christian at all? And what tends to happen when we feel like that is we tend to drift back to old patterns of behavior. We tend, <clears throat> tend to go back to old things, the old things that we used to use to distract us or to comfort us or to give us purpose and meaning. Those things, we go back. We find ourselves drawn backwards. And it may be that for some of you here this afternoon, you feel very in-betweeny. You feel very, I've got this old reality there's this new thing, but I just, I don't really feel like I've fully got that. I'm in between, and you can feel the pull. And maybe for some of you, you're heading back towards the old, heading back to something that you think is familiar. It feels nice, right, to go back to old things. Well, if that is you, then I've got some great news, because that's not where it ends. Because what happens next is so spectacular that it stops Peter in his tracks, from going back to the old, and it drags him fully into the new reality. And my prayer this afternoon is that rather than drifting back to the old reality, Jesus would take you by the scruff of your neck, seems a bit violent, but metaphorically, and he would drag you, and he would pull you, and he would attract you, and he would draw you into the new reality he has. So let's look at this then. Let's look at the new reality, encountering what Jesus is doing in our world. Look at verse 4. Early in the morning. Right, okay, stop. Come on, we've done this before. If you've been at Globe for the last few weeks, you better be thinking what I'm thinking. John has already used this phrase. This whole idea of early in the morning. You've got night, them fishing all night, and they catch nothing early in the morning. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to sing Aladdin, A Whole New World Again. I won't, I promise. But there's a new thing. There's a new day dawning. On the day when Jesus rose from the dead, it was early in the morning on the first day of the week. 
John's already told us that there's something new. There's a new reality. So here he is, early on the morning. Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? I don't think he's mocking them. It does sound a little bit like it, but I don't think he is. I think he's just highlighting their inability to catch fish. No, they said. And then he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This isn't Jesus saying, oh, look, you're just fishing in the wrong place. This is Jesus performing a mighty miracle. Extraordinarily, they let the nets down. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Look, surely, surely you can see the difference, right, between the old reality and the new. They've been fishing all night and caught nothing. Jesus rocks up early in the morning, stands on the shore, says, let down the nets, and suddenly their nets are bursting with life, teeming with fish. That is the contrast. That is the reality Jesus is drawing his disciples into. It's like when he said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here is a vivid demonstration. How did you get on on fishing on your own? Nothing. They caught nothing. Not a few little ones, nothing. Jesus comes and suddenly there is a super abundance in their fishing. Now, if that is all we saw, we might say, that's a pretty cool uh, little miracle. Well done, Jesus. You've shown again that you're the hero. I wonder, though, if there's something even more going on here. So hold on now, because I'm going to take you and try and show you something even bigger. And this won't surprise you if you've been in John, because John does this all the time. There's this kind of surface level, but then there's this bigger story, this underlying story. You see, some of the phrases John uses are very similar to phrases in another part of the Bible. I'm not expecting you to know this one, because it's Ezekiel chapter 47. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to it? Because I'd love you to see it. Ezekiel 47. Now, the book of Ezekiel, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but the book of Ezekiel um, is one of the big, major prophets of the Old Testament, written to God's people. And it was written when Israel were at a very dark period of their reality. They were in exile, they were in Babylon, they had been ripped out of their homeland, and they were there in the darkness of exile. And they were there because they had rebelled against God, because they'd worshipped idols instead of God. And the book of Ezekiel says to his people, you've worshipped idols, you don't love me, you have been unfaithful to me, and now I will punish you. And he puts them um, into exile. And the temple is destroyed in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 8, the glory of God leaves the temple and the temple is destroyed. So there's no more temple and the people are in exile. It's a disaster. But then you get this great vision at the end. Because it ends in hope. 
And Ezekiel sees this vision of a future temple. And from the temple, there is a river, right? There's water coming out from underneath the temple. And this river flows out of the temple. And that's what chapter 47 of Ezekiel is all about. Let me read you some. Ezekiel 47, verse 7. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore. From Engedi to Englaim, there will be places for spreading of the nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. So here is the great vision, right? Here's the great vision. A new temple, a river teeming with fish, and a fisherman standing on the shore ready to gather in the fish. Do you think it's any, look, do you really think it's an accident that John then writes this story and uses phrases like a great number of fish, a fisherman standing on the shore? You see, the picture couldn't be clearer that what is going on here is not Jesus just working a nice little miracle. This is the fulfillment of what Ezekiel promised would happen. The time when the curse and the darkness of the exile would be brought to an end. But if you're awake with me, perhaps you might say, but there's no temple, John T. There's no temple. You're making this up. Look harder. There is a temple. In John chapter 21, there is a temple. And of course, in order to know that there's a temple in John 21, you would have to have been here four years ago when we started John. Because in John chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. Jesus talks about himself. And that is exactly what they did. They destroyed him on the cross. His body was broken. And in three days, he rebuilt it. In three days, he was alive again. And now here is Jesus. Here is Jesus, the one from whom blessing will flow. Here is Jesus, the one who fulfills all of Ezekiel's vision. A great number of fish. He's standing on the shore. And the point to the disciples is the new reality I'm calling you into is the great blessing that I've promised to the whole world. That's the new reality. Don't go back to catching fish, Peter. I'm calling you into a reality that's so much bigger. And when we abandon Jesus, or when we begin to turn away from Jesus and we turn to other things, whether it be some big cause that we give our lives to, or whether it be our career, or whether it would be some, you know, trying to get famous, or whatever it is that we give our lives to, Jesus says, no, I've, my reality is bigger. This is the great story of the Bible, the great story of the world that Jesus is calling you to. That's the new reality. It's the new reality that he's brought about by his death and his resurrection. 
So we've got two realities. Okay, what's all this got to do? So what? What do we do with all this? Okay, here's the third thing. It's all about Jesus. I realize that that is a fairly naff heading, as headings go. But it is. It is all about Jesus. And therefore, I thought that would do as a heading, because it's all about Jesus. Now, look at this. This is where it gets practical. If you're sitting and thinking, this doesn't really relate to me, this is where I hope it gets practical. So here they are. They've got this massive, great fish, this massive, great net that Jesus has brought about. And then it says in verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, who we know now is John, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So John clocks it quicker than Peter does. Not only is he faster than Peter, he's also smarter than Peter. John says, it's the Lord. But look at Peter's response. As soon, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Look, they're about 100 meters from the beach. It's not going to take long to row back to the beach. But you see that in Peter, the moment he sees Jesus, I, I just want to get to him. It's almost like his heart is magnetically drawn to Jesus. You have to understand this. This is, Peter has so badly let Jesus down. He has failed Jesus so spectacularly. He denied he even knew him. Imagine selling out your best friend. And Jesus went to the cross on his own. Peter feels crushed by guilt and shame. And yet when Peter sees Jesus, he runs to him. Can I tell you, this is what makes the difference between Judas and Peter. This is what makes the difference between those who are remorseful and those who are repentant. You see, when Judas let Jesus down, he betrayed Jesus and he ran away from Jesus, ultimately to his destruction. But when Peter let Jesus down, the moment he saw Jesus, he wanted to be with him. Listen, to be part of this new reality that Jesus is bringing to existence is not about being some spectacularly up-together and organized, awesome human being. To be part of this new reality is to be someone who knows that you fail, but when you fail, you find your heart is drawn to Jesus, not driven away from him. If when you sin, all you long for is Jesus, that is evidence you're part of his new reality. It's evidence that you're one of his. But if when you fail and when you feel guilty, you run away from him, it's evidence that you don't love him, you don't belong to him. And even this afternoon, I want to encourage you to metaphorically jump out of the boat Swim to him. Get him. Do everything you can. Look, it's not sensible, Peter. If you'd waited in the boat, you could have been dry, but now you're going to be soggy for the whole, eve- the whole day, probably. You're going to be damp. That wasn't sensible. No, Peter's not sensible. But sometimes being sensible is so rubbish when it comes to Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't want us to be sensible. He wants us to love him. He wants us to go to him. He wants us to, you know, other people might think you've been a bit extreme. You can imagine the other disciples going, stupid Peter. Don't know why he has to be so fanatical. He's fanatical because he knows how much he needs Jesus. He doesn't care what other people think. He just wants to get to Jesus. And people who are passionate about Jesus, often others will say they're a bit over the top. Peter's totally over the top because he knows how much he needs Jesus. That is what it means to be part of this new reality, this massive river of blessing that Jesus, the true temple, is bringing into our world. Life, freedom, forgiveness for failures. You just want to get to him. Verse 8 tells us the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it. So when Peter gets to the shore, the first thing he sees is a fire. That's interesting, isn't it? Remember, the fire was the place where Peter denied Jesus. It was round a fire that Peter failed. But now Jesus deliberately resets the scene, relights a fire, says, Peter, let's go again, shall we? Let's try this again. Let me bring you back to your place of failure. Let's do this again. He's such a loving master. We'll see lots more about this next week. But he's such a loving master. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it. Let's forget it. He says, no, let's confront it. (laughs) Let's meet in that place. There's a fire. And on this fire, look, there was some fish on it and some bread. Oh, it turns out out Jesus didn't didn't need that fish after all. He already had fish. (laughs) You know, when Jesus makes you breakfast, he just goes... Breakfast. (laughs) There it is. Because he's the one who provides. It's not you. You don't have the power. It's not about us running around doing his mission. It's not about us kind of extending the kingdom. It's him. It's all him. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You can fish all night and you'll catch nothing. You run to him. You join yourself to him. You love him. You trust him. You rely on him. And suddenly you discover you have a part to play in his great mission. So he's already got fish. But look at verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. He doesn't despise their fish. He doesn't say, oh, don't need your fish, actually. He says, no, let's bring your fish. And in fact, you notice he says, bring the fish you just caught. I mean, that's pretty generous. Yet Jesus doesn't despise you. He doesn't despise the little that you've got. He says, no, let's use what you've got. This is what it means to be part of this new reality. Not being the super awesome human being that everyone tells you you're supposed to be, but by jumping in the boat, swimming to Jesus, finding he's got fish and he still wants some of your fish. That won't make sense out of context. And Simon Peter, he's just so, he's like a little puppy, isn't he? Kind of running around at this point. The, the, the despondency and the dejection of, of 
the night's fishing is now replaced by this over-enthusiasm. Jesus says, bring a few fish. He goes, oh, get them all. So he climbs back into the boat. Look, <laughs> he climbs back into the boat. He drags the net to shore, brings them all out. He was full of large fish. It's 153. Now look, a lot has been written about that number, about what it means. Apparently, it's 17 cubed or so. Anyway, look, a lot has been written about it. I think it means someone counted. I think it probably means that when they put it up on shore, they looked at the fish and went, that is a lot of fish. How many do you reckon it is? I don't know. Let's count them. <laughs> it's evidence that they were there. This really happened. There was 153 fish, big ones. Oh, Jesus is so magnificent. He calls us to be part of this new reality. And then Jesus says this, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Look, he is the eternal son of God. He is the creator of the universe. He is sustaining the stars at this very moment. And he looks at these seven tired fishermen, one of them who's very damp, and says, shall we have breakfast? <laughs> Imagine what's going on in, a, in heaven at this point. Up in heaven, right? The angels are waiting to welcome home their victorious king. To welcome home the darling of heaven whom they've worshipped for all ages, who went down into the world to save humanity, who died on a cross, who rose again, who's going to ascend in glory. They're standing with confetti in their hands going, let's get ready. What's he, what's he doing? Why is he taking so long? Where is he? He seems to be having breakfast with seven Random fishermen. He puts the party in heaven on hold so that he can eat a meal with his precious people. I hope you can see that that is extraordinary. Because that's what our Jesus does. That's what he's like. He's not the Lord distant in a castle. He is Jesus come so near that he would eat a meal with us. Around the meal, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew it. It's still a bit weird for them. But let's face it, they haven't really been in this situation with a dead man who's alive again. It's new. They're processing it. Give them a break. And then verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And he waits on them. He serves them. He says, let me feed you. Let me give you what you need. This is why I love Jesus. This is why I want to follow Jesus with the whole of my life. This is why I want to give everything for Jesus because he's like this. He serves, he serves, he serves. And you may say to me, well, it's very nice, it's a nice little story, but I'm not on a beach, I'm in a school hall in London. 
There isn't a fire. I mean, it'd be nice if there was a fire with some fresh fish. Well, that'd be nice, but there isn't. This was a one-off moment. No, you're wrong. Do you know what Jesus says to you this afternoon? Right, listen carefully. This is what Jesus says right now to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. He says to you right now, I I want to eat with you. I want to be in that closest of relationships with you. I want to know you. I want to be intimate. I want to be near you. See, on those moments, those days when Jesus feels distant from us, it is not him who's moved, it's us. On those days when we find ourselves caught in between two realities, it is Jesus who calls to us and says, don't go back to the old reality. He says, come in, push in, lean into this new reality. It's what he does with Peter. He draws him out of his old reality, not into the middle, but on, on deeper into this new reality. That's Jesus' desire for you this afternoon. He died on a cross, he rose again, so that you could be part of his great reality. So as we finish, I, I, I guess I just want to ask you, in the light of what we've just seen, Where are you at with Jesus right now? Do you feel caught in the middle? Sort of like you, there's an old way, but I haven't really, this isn't, I don't know, I feel a bit directionless and disappointed and maybe discounted. This afternoon, Jesus says, come, come on. Come be part of this new reality. We don't have to get wet right now. Some of you should get baptized, (laughs) if you haven't yet. But that's not what this is about. But we do get this afternoon just to come in your hearts, come to him. As we sing in a minute, come to him. You may think, I don't want to be too over the top. Why not? What's wrong with being over the top? (laughs) Over the top in your way, I get it. Some of us are over the top, is not very over the top. I understand that. But let's not feel like we have to fit in with what everyone else thinks. Peter's just abandonment. Let's love him. So this afternoon, we're going to do something we hardly ever do. Um, I want to give you a chance to respond because this isn't for everyone, but for some of you, maybe this afternoon you think, actually, I I don't want to live in the middle anymore. I don't want to live in this in-between place. I want to push on. I want this to be a day when I move towards Jesus, when I step into him, not away from him. And so I'm going to ask in a moment if anyone says, actually, that, I feel that very strongly right now. I, I feel like that is something I want to say yes to Jesus right now. I'm going to ask you just to stand up where you are. I know that's a scary thing, but you're not jumping out of a boat. You're standing up. You're standing up in a family of people where we want to love each other. And the reason for doing that is because sometimes it's all very well doing things in our heart, but sometimes doing things publicly means that we... It means we have to think a little bit harder. And the fact that our heart begins to beat a little bit 
harder is a good thing as we think, yeah, Jesus, I, I really do want to do this. So take a I'm going to ask the band to come up. And we're going to take a moment just to think about that. Have a moment just to pray. Just as the band um, begin to begin to play, if that's something you want to say this afternoon, yeah, I want Jesus. This I want this to be a defining day. Perhaps for the first time, Jesus, I want to trust you. Or perhaps for the hundredth time, Jesus, I want to recommit to you. I want to encourage you just to stand. We're not doing this to show off to other people. If no one stands, that's fine. I'd love you to stand and I can pray for you and then we'll all stand and sing together. But anyone who particularly this afternoon just wants to stand and say, yeah, Jesus, I I want to honor you. a couple more minutes just if there's anyone who's thinking oh, I really want to but I feel too scared to I want to but I feel just go for it stand up and then I'm going to pray let me lead us in prayer I mean maybe you're sitting there thinking I wish I'd stood up don't worry this prayer's for you too <laughs> Our Father, we thank you that Jesus is so beautiful. And Lord, I guess all of us in this room, we feel that pull of the old reality. Lord, we want to say no to that. And we want to say yes to this new reality, yes to what Jesus is doing in our world. Lord, please be at work. I pray particularly for those who are standing right now. Let this be a decisive day in their lives. Let this be a day when Jesus... You draw them deeper, draw them closer, draw them into that reality. Let them see all that you are for them. In Jesus' name, amen.